you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It's been a minute since we started this series, so you might have forgotten that we're going through the book of James, but here we are, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you have your Bibles open there, I'm going to ask you if you would, please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we ask you if you would, please open our hearts and minds today, Father, to receive your word. And God, it's our prayer that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Every morning I get up early, I get in my chair, I'm reading a lot right now. Uh, not as, I, I wish I had read more at this point, but I've got class for the next two weeks. I was supposed to be leaving today to go to Louisville, Kentucky for my uh, uh, lecture seminars in preaching uh, for my degree, doctoral degree that I'm pursuing right now. Uh, but instead, I'll be doing that on Zoom. It's a little video conferencing series. If you've ever been in a Zoom meeting... Imagine being in a Zoom meeting for two weeks, and that's what my life's about to be like for the next two weeks. But nonetheless, I'll be up early, I'll be reading, and every morning I hear the pitter-patter of feet coming down the hall. Usually the second one up in our house is Jim. Jim's four years old, and uh, Jim is coming down the hall, and every morning the first words he says to me are almost always the same. All right, Dad, let's go check on the plants. Jim is a budding pun intended, botanist. He is obsessed with plants. Now, uh, the reason why is because of a video game that he's played a few times that involves plants. But nonetheless, he likes plants. It's transferred over into the real world. And so every morning, Jim wants, he and I to go outside. I take my cup of coffee. We go out and we just check the plants. Some of them might need watered, so we watered the plant, water the plants early in the morning. And then most of our time is spent with me convincing Jim not to pick the plants. Mainly what? We do. But this morning, before I came here, Jim got up, came down the hall. I was hoping he would forget because it's Sunday and I'm a little busy, but if he wants to go look at the plants, we'll go look at the plants. And so he said, all right, Dad, let's go check the plants. And he was especially excited about checking on our rose, our climbing rose, our rose bush this morning. Because the last few days it's had a flower on it. And uh, this morning we walked out and the flower was gone. He was aghast. He said, Dad, what happened to our rose? Our rose is gone. You look down and you see the light pink petals already starting to turn brown, already fading. I had to explain to him the flower fell off. But then I was able to show him, look, we've got a lot more pretty buds. We'll have more flowers in the weeks to come. But he couldn't believe that our flower had gone away. Now, I really dread fall and winter. He's got a lot of uh, bad news coming down the pipe. But here's the reality. That's the image the Bible gives 
for our pursuit of stuff, our pursuit of things. Eventually, it's like a flower. They fall off and they fade. Eventually, we are like the flower. We fade away. But on top of that, not only is there a level, I don't think it's sinful to make money, so please don't bring that in the form of emotion at the next church business meeting. I enjoy eating and, and feeding my family and having a life. I think it's sinful to, to even to accumulate wealth. And yet, as Christians, what we have to do is we have to recognize there is a vanity even to the accumulation of wealth. And that is a countercultural thought in a society that will pursue wealth at almost any cost. Almost any cost. And we recognize as Christians, on top of all that, money will and can lead you to do wicked things. We've all seen people who've made messes of their lives pursuing money in ungodly ways. And if I think if you look as a society, we are often at our worst as a society when we let mammon trump our devotion to God. When we let mammon override what we know is right. Right now, how many scandals can you think of in your own mind? Right now, how many can you think of that involve money? In fact, so often, somewhere or another, there's money involved in almost every scandal. You see, the title of the sermon is Trial by Money. And that might have been sort of confusing to some of you when we start thinking about this idea of trial by money. But when we say that, we talk about that, we usually think first and foremost, when you hear a phrase like that, about not having enough money. Right? I mean, when we think about there's a, a trial in our lives that's financial, very rarely is it because we won Publishers Clearinghouse. Ooh, Brother Matt, I'm so burdened. I got a big chunk of change in the mail last week. You know, nobody thinks about that as a trial, right? But notice the context in which James begins to talk about money here. He is really talking about what it means for Christians to be in trials. If you back up to verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast when under trial. This is really a discourse on trials. And then you just have this little short three verses here that talk about money. James is showing and situating these verses in such a way that he shows that finances can be a trial for so many of us. We so often think about the trial of not having enough, but when was the last time you thought about the trial of having too much? Now, that's the ultimate first world problem, isn't it? I've just got too much money. I'm, under, I'm going through a trial. But hear me out and hear the Bible out. See what James is really driving at here. Look, look at the context. Don't you see the way that as this, this discussion of money is being situated here in this discourse on trials, don't you see that James is seeing this as a similar possible pitfall for Christians, like other trials, like persecution? He's saying we can trip up and fall over money. The gospel turns everything upside down. There is nothing about the gospel that makes sense in worldly terms. 
There's nothing about the gospel that makes sense in worldly terms. It totally turns all of our common wisdom and knowledge on its head. Grace does not make sense in the world we live in. It does not make sense to sinners. It it, it is far-fetched to sinners. And yet, that's exactly what God has done. Common wisdom is shattered by the grace that's given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so because the gospel turns everything upside down, it also takes our sort of common wisdom on wealth and on money and flips it upside down as well. It's turned upside down by the gospel. This morning, I want to show you three truths that are going to help you see how the gospel transforms how you understand wealth. The three truths that will help you see how the gospel transforms and hopefully that will lead to, to transforming of your own views of wealth in light of the gospel. Okay, here's the first point this morning. Here's the first point. Turn lowliness right side up. First way you can see the way gospel transforms your view of wealth and the best way you can, one of the first ways you can transform your own view of wealth according to the gospel is to turn lowliness right side up. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That's interesting, isn't it? That's not an interesting thing to hear. Let the lowly brother, I think if we look in context here, it's clear, this is someone of lowly means. Someone who's incapable of affording the things that most people can afford. Someone who is poor. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What is his exaltation? Now, is the Bible just simply saying that what he's boasting in is that it's a good thing to be poor? Should we just become sort of reverse health, wealth, and prosperity preachers? All take vows of poverty and say the Bible says it's objectively good for someone not to have enough to be lowly? No, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. In, in fact, I think there are laws and rules in, that guided Israel and principles in the Bible that show that in general it is a positive good thing for people to be more capable of providing for themselves. Wealth is not an inherently evil thing in the pages of Scripture. And so James is not saying that the lowliness of the brother is what he ought to boast in. No, he is calling him lowly and then saying he has an exaltation and he is lowly, but he ought to boast in his exaltation. What does he mean? What does he mean? Did he get his faith payment from the televangelist? Did he sow a seed and receive tenfold? Is that what he should be boasting in? I think James is pointing the lowly brother to a different exaltation altogether. I think he's pointing him to his exaltation in Christ. M- much, what, much like what Jesus said in the passages we read earlier, when Jesus says, your life does not consist of worldly goods. This is not who you are. The sum and substance of who you are is not what you own. He's pointing the lowly brother, James is, to the gospel. And he's telling him, this is what defines who you are. You may be lowly, but what you ought to boast in is your exaltation. And your exaltation is not that you're so righteous despite being poor. And your exaltation is not that it is a morally good thing to not have enough. The exaltation is... That what Jesus says about you is more important than what your checkbook 
says about you. Don't you feel like and sense that our culture wants to define us by our wealth? It wants to define us by how much money we have? I think we've all seen people who have get treated better than people who have not. Some of you may be people who have, and you recognize you've been treated better than people who have not. And some of you may be people who have not, and you may recognize and see that you've been mistreated in your life. And I've heard stories in both directions my life as a pastor. Our culture wants to tell us that your worth is held up in, in how much power and money you have. And yet when the gospel defines us, we are no longer beholden to money to tell us who we are. In fact, Jesus has already spoken a better word than anything we can commend for ourselves could speak when we are saved by Him. He's told us we are of infinite worth. And so a lowly brother who's being treated essentially as useless, right? In, in some cultures over the years, Poor people have been treated almost like property by some people. And of course, there have been cultures, including our own, where people have literally been property of others. We recognize, even in the midst of those things, even in the midst of those things, what the gospel tells us is no matter how lowly you may be, you have been exalted in Christ. You are treated as a son or daughter of God. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, which is worth more than all the wealth in the universe put together. Jesus is worth more, and therefore you are worth more than what your bank account says. The gospel defines us. We're no longer beholden to money to tell us who we are. And it frees those of us who have financial struggles to avoid the temptations that are part of poverty. There are temptations. So often when we talk about struggles with money and ways that we can sin with money, we almost always orient the discussion toward people who are rich, who have a lot. And certainly the Bible has clear warnings to those who have a lot, but I think warnings are there as well for those who don't have much. Those who are, as the Scripture says, lowly. In the world's eyes. It's easy to become obsessed with money. Just obsessed with it. I've, I've been at different times in my life. I've had less money in the bank than I do right now. Right? I've, I've been less financially secure at different times in my life. And I can remember when we were in seminary and other times. And Whitney and I were trying to work and go to school and all these different things. I can remember just spending a whole lot of my time thinking, are we going to have enough money? How how are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? Are we going to pay the bills? And and it's easy, I think, to be obsessed with money. And listen, we had family members who would never let us starve, right? They would never let us starve. And so I don't really understand the pressures that people who authentically have no safety net would experience. It could be easy. It would be so easy to become obsessed with money. To be worried constantly. To feel small or ashamed of not having enough. Some of the saddest moments of my life have been when I was working at the mission center. And someone who didn't have enough would come through and I would invite them to church. They would say, I can't come to church. Like, Well, why not? I don't have anything to wear. I, w- I wouldn't look proper if I came to church. I've, I've, it's brought tears to my eyes before to think, it wasn't anything to do with our church. It's just church in general. They say, I am ashamed. They feel small, right? Because they don't feel like they've got enough money to look like you need to go 
like to look like you need to look to go to church. And we get to tell them, no, we don't care what you wear to church. We don't care if you look fancy for church. We may put on our Sunday best, but in, in our hearts we know we're sinners who are here only for grace. And if you don't look like everyone else looks, we'll still love you and Jesus loves you no less than he does anyone else. You see, the gospel frees us from the temptations we have. It, it frees us up to boast in our true exaltation, not to always think about how do I get more money so I can be approved and seen as worthy. No, instead, we are looking always to Jesus and saying it is Jesus who approves us. It's Jesus who measures our worth. We must, not only as lowly brothers, turn lowliness right side up, we must also turn riches upside down. It's our second point this morning. Turn riches upside down. Look at verse 10. Let's back up. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. We also see the beauty of the gospel here. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. Do you see this contrast? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, right? And let the rich brother boast in his humiliation. Now, what what, what does this mean? Does this mean simply that, that it's a moral good, that there's exaltation in being poor, and that there's humiliation in being rich, it's obviously not what James is saying. It's not consistent with the rest of the Scripture. That, that's not what he means. What he's saying is, once again, when someone who is rich looks to the gospel, they are, in the world's terms, being humiliated, whereas someone who is lowly, when they look at the gospel, they are, in the world's terms, being exalted. But the reality is, on God's term, they were always the same and always will be the same, and the gospel is the great leveling ground of humanity. In Christ, there is no rich or poor. We are all desperate sinners. And so, the the person who is rich is treated exactly like the person who is poor, whereas that's not always the case in the world. It is the case with the gospel. And like a flower of the grass, he will fade away. We spend so much time and energy and effort trying to make sure that we are financially secure. And I don't, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think the Bible teaches that it's wrong in and of itself to be prepared financially. But we always have to take the financial security that we procure in this life, and we always have to balance it against the idea that what will that financial security mean to me one second after I enter eternity? We always have to Bear that in mind. You've probably heard a thousand preachers say you can't, you've never seen a U-Haul on a hearse. Haven't you? There's some truth to that. I've seen a meme going around that shows a U-Haul on a hearse. So you can't use that illustration anymore. Th- think, think about it for just a moment. What is the humiliation that the rich must boast in? What is it about this humiliation that James is calling rich people to boast in? What is it he's saying? 
He's saying you are boasting in the fact that your righteousness is only in Christ. It's the exact same thing, right? It's the exact same thing that a lowly brother is boasting in, a rich person is boasting in the same thing. My righteousness is found in Christ and Christ alone. And there's a temptation for those who have to keep up appearances, to keep up with the Joneses, to make it seem like everything is perfect. Yet you do not boast in having a perfect life. You boast in the righteousness of Christ, which in the world's eyes is humiliating. It's humiliating. We know about proper society, don't we? It's humiliating to have dirty laundry in proper society. There are things we just don't talk about in proper society. Every Sunday, when you walk through the doors of First Baptist Church, every single person who walks in these doors to worship God by His grace through Christ is announcing to Etowah County, I've got dirty laundry, and it's only by grace that I can come before a holy God. You are boasting in your humiliation when you come to the Lord's church. How does the world see the poor? The world sees the poor as lowly and insignificant, but the gospel speaks a better word. Their worth is found in Christ. They are exalted because above the station that they are in in this world, they are exalted in Jesus. And how does the world see the rich? Powerful and good and worthy. And yet the gospel reduces all that the world sees to nothing. You bring no money. You bring no prestige to the cross. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. There is no wealth, no prestige, no worth, no righteousness that a sinner must bring to Jesus to be commended. You don't need anything. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We're not commended on ourselves. We're commended on what he has done. So when the lowly boasts in his exaltation and the rich boasts in his humiliation, both are boasting always and only in the cross. Both are recognizing we are in the same place before God. Keith and Kristen Getty stated so beautifully in this wonderful hymn called My Worth is Not in What I Own. Listen to these great words. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him no other, My soul is satisfied in Him alone. As summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. Two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. That's all well and good, you may say, preacher. I get it. Our worth is only in Christ. But what do I do tomorrow morning? What do I do tonight when the worries about these things come back? What what do I do when I worry about how I'm seen by those around me? What do I do then? That's our last point this morning. 
Turn your eyes to eternity. Turn your eyes to eternity. How do we fight this? James tells us. He says this, For the sun rises with its scorching heat, echoing the prophet Isaiah, and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man, what? Fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You see what's lying underneath this text, don't you? The mortality that waits us all. What's the difference? What's the difference in being buried in the nicest plot with the nicest headstone and the nicest place that you can imagine and being buried in a beggar's grave when one day we will all face a holy God? Those who have must remember that it doesn't last. And those who have not must remember that even the rich man dies in his pursuits. And even if you are lowly and you get what it is you think you want, and even if you're rich and you finally get to that level of wealth that you've been chasing your whole life, the reality is that you won't get what you think you'll get if you get there anyway. It it won't do for you what you think it will do. It won't satisfy you like you think it will. You may be rich, but you'll never be as rich as King Solomon was. And he's got whole books written about the fact that wealth doesn't ultimately satisfy. And pretty much anything else you could find to try to satisfy yourself doesn't satisfy either. He really made a good run at it, and it didn't work. Mainly this. Mainly this. To turn your eyes to eternity. Evaluate your pursuits. I love how James uses this word, pursuits. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. One day, one day the flower will fade. One day, this life will be over. Today, when you think about that day, evaluate what am I running after? What is it I'm pursuing? Those of you with less means, what do you dream about? What is your energy dedicated to? Is it you're always thinking, if only I could be like the rich man? All flesh is grass. And when the sun rises and the scorching heat sets down, we will all be the same before God. The rich man fades in his pursuits. Don't just simply run and spend your life after having, but just because you have not. Instead, spend your life pursuing God, pursuing His gospel, crucifying your flesh against the love of money. And those of you with more means, let me ask you this question. Is your trust in your wealth or in the Lord? Are, are, are you crucifying your flesh to avoid the love of money? Have you become so comfortable with what you have and in your pursuits that you forget that one day the flower will fade? What are you pursuing? Simply put, give yourselves to the Lord. Give your time and talents to the Lord. Give of your money to the Lord. Give your worries and your anxieties to the Lord. Hand your reputation over to the Lord. 
trust that what Jesus has said about you at the cross is true. It is the great equalizer, and it is given us grace. And no matter how scummy we may seem in this world, how lowly we may seem in this world, the reality is that what we boast in is the cross of Christ that exalts us. And no matter how high and mighty we may seem in this world, what we really must boast in is the humiliation of saying we need a Savior. And we recognize and we know as Christians so often that we are at our worst in the ungodly pursuit of money. But the thing you must remember is that we are always at our best in our faithful pursuit of the Lord. And so I ask you today, what and who are you pursuing? I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord today. And while we're not coming down during this season, right there, God can work wherever you are. If you're at home, God can work there. If you need somebody to talk to, email me at malexander at fbcgazin.org or catch me after the service and we'll safely have a talk about what you need to do to respond to the Lord. But this morning, I want to ask you to take some time as this service concludes to respond to the Lord as He would have you respond. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray that our focus would be on the gospel. You would remind us, Lord, I pray, that our worth is not in what we own, but our worth is found only in the cross. And God, I pray that we will boast always and only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.